Atheist Nomads, episode 413. What is biblical marriage? The podcast you're about to listen to includes cursing and talking about hoo-hahs. Please be advised. Welcome to another episode of Atheist Nomads. I am Dustin, and joining me is my lovely wife, Lauren. Hello! For Dustin off the degree, we're going to talk about marriage, (laughs) specifically Christian and biblical marriage. Yeah, okay. Those are two very separate, different things, correct? Very. very. <laughs> so when you hear the you know, traditional Christian marriage bullshit from the right... Propaganda. It is one man, one woman. Where they are getting the traditional aspect of that is that, well, marriage has typically been between one man and at least one woman throughout human history and around the world there are few exceptions where there are multiple men Um, so at least that makes sense and american protestants became very particular on one woman in the late 19th century with mormons no oh right because somebody dared to do it a different way. So you got to shut that down. Yeah. Polygamy wasn't prohibited. It just wasn't done. And then oh, Mormons well, started... people couldn't afford to do it anyway. Right. So then Mormons started doing it. And the Republican Party of the late 19th century... Or, yeah, the late 19th century went on an anti-Mormon uh, crusade. Yeah, crusade. That's... Uh, it was bad. And got prohibitions on polygamy to drive Mormons out of states. And it worked. And it worked. It drove Mormons into Utah, and then they started expanding into the surrounding territories where state laws didn't matter. (laughs) Started breeding like rabbits. And then the U.S. government actually passed a law prohibiting polygamy and forced Utah to put in its state constitution that polygamy is illegal. At that point... It was kind of a touchy subject. Yeah. And at that point, it was really just that traditional American marriage meant there's only one woman. (laughs) Or there can't be more than one woman. Yeah. Which two men getting married shouldn't have been a problem with that because that's there's not more than one woman there. But then again, that would be even more sinful than a man having two or... Well, when it comes down to property, that's all that really matters. And Mm -hmm. you can't have two men marry because you can't split the property. Right. And, th- and there's also, yeah, there's been the issue of property. But that's not, that's not the Christian values. That's a more modern, secular take. If you back up even further, oh, and just because it's a, a funny and semi-personal uh, anecdote on it, back sometime around the 1820s, my great-great-great-grandfather was kicked out of his Baptist church in southern England. Or the crime of bigamy. Well, there you go. So it has been an issue in Christianity outside of Mormon concerns since the 1820s in England. Well, they wouldn't have heard of Joseph Smith. And at that point, hardly anybody had heard of him. <laughs> Nor would they have cared. Right. So if you go back even further... You know, pre-Victorian England, marriage wasn't like it was a religious thing, but it also wasn't because, yeah, the church handled it 
but the church also handled a lot of paperwork for the state, like recording births and deaths and marriages. Yeah. But the marriage itself was really only a value if you had property. So non-landowning people rarely would ever get married because there was no property, thus the hassle and expense of getting married wasn't worth it. Because <laughs> you didn't need to worry about having legal heirs if you don't own anything. Right. You back up to earlier than that, when the Normans were called in by the Pope to help drive out the Muslims from southern Italy, and this would be the same Normans as invaded and conquered England uh, and settled, had settled in Normandy in France and were descended from Vikings and whose cousins were the uh, princes of the Kievan Rus that would become Russia. Ah. Uh, <laughs> the same Normans. Yeah, they're, yeah. Yeah. They, they're related. So they, they drove out the, the Muslims in southern England, or southern Italy, and then uh, stayed in Sicily. And while they were there, they picked up some of the habits of the Muslims that they had taken over from, like polygamy. No. Oh. Good for them, I guess. <laughs> it made other Christian kingdoms very uncomfortable, but not enough that anybody actually cared or did anything about it. Mm. Uh, popes and priests were not allowed to marry. That was a concern with inheritance. And celibacy wasn't actually really pushed until a pope in the 11th century tried to get his bastard son a uh, bishopric. Oh, he pushed the, uh, the family he, ties a little too far He pushed there, it, huh? yep. And that Ruined got... Ruined it for everyone. Yeah. So that made everybody, well, all the kingdoms very uncomfortable because at that point the Catholic Church owned something like a third of all land in Europe and they didn't... Kings didn't want foreigners to be coming in and inheriting land. Right. Since the church moved people across national boundaries all the time and they didn't want them to then have heirs to inherit those lands <laughs> uh you back it up even earlier and you get to rome the roman period uh greeks had no problem with polygamy but rarely practice it because it was expensive right that's kind of the joke is that you can only have as many wives as you can afford right the Romans were anti-polygamy. Uh, they were very pro-family, which meant a good upstanding model Roman citizen would have one wife to produce lots of good future citizens for Rome with. Yeah. And then have a couple mistresses and maybe a couple guys on the side. Yeah. That was the, the proper way to do Rome. You, you have your wife and then you have your mistresses and maybe play around with dudes or apprentices or... Yeah. That was the Roman standard, but only one wife. It's kind of, yeah, in the modern poly uh, movement, there is a subset of that where there is the primary, the mm -hmm. queen. <laughs> I don't know what they call them, but the primary, the quote unquote wife. And yeah. then the rest are basically that. They're mistresses. They of equal standing in like love and stuff. But there's one that has the primary yeah. Usually the first one has the primary relationship. In this, in this case, it, or in you know ancient times, it would have been the uh, childbearing one. Really don't want to be having too many kids with mistresses. Although they would, and 
the kids with mistress from mistresses just wouldn't be able to inherit uh, senatorial seats. Oh, if they could inherit land or the massive land holdings. That's I mean that's what it yeah is. they'd get good jobs, but they wouldn't get to inherit nepotism at its best. Right. Uh, in ancient Israel and classical Israel, uh, polygamy was practiced, but not common again, because it's expensive. And in early Christianity, there is no talk of marriage outside of the writings of Paul. Well, at least what defines a marriage outside of the writings of Paul. And even then it still doesn't. (laughs) Well, that sounds typical. Yeah. Paul encourages celibacy will allow marriage if you're burning with passion too much. Whoa, Paul. And can't handle... It's too much of a burden to be celibate until Jesus returns. I mean, a credit, that was a long time ago. So that's a long time to try and remain celibate. Right. And... passion. I mean, come on. Ask any (laughs) 15-year-old boy what that feels like. And he included in... uh, First or second Timothy, and I think somewhere else. The no, it was just in first and second first or second Timothy, the the requirements for the qualifications for being a bishop or deacon. Oh. And included on that list, along with not being a drunkard or prone to anger and generally being a good Christian and having well behaved children, being the husband of only one woman. Okay. You could argue and I'm sure Joseph Smith would. Actually, Joseph Smith, I think, would just ignore it. But you could argue <laughs> pretty easily from that that the he wasn't prohibiting polygamy for Christians, just for uh, bishops and deacons. Right. And there's the, the model citizen, and then there's everyone else. Or He had rules for the model citizen. Or the ones that if you only have one wife, you've got time to give to the church. <laughs> if you've got more than one, you probably don't. You have no time. You have no money. You have no patience. <laughs> like you could, you could argue that that's all he was trying to do. Yeah. You go back earlier in the Bible, and there are lots of descriptions of marriage and rules on marriage. The rules on marriage include you can't marry your sister or your aunt. Okay. Or your wife's sister or aunt or mom. You can't marry your stepmom. I think you can marry your wife's stepmom. Okay, well, good, you know. Uh, Phew. And you can't marry your wife and her daughter. Okay. Or your wife and her mom. Okay. Yeah. So the other, other family ladies are off limits. Yep. You can only marry... because I hear a lot of things about, well, maybe it's just a Mormon thing. Maybe it's just a rumor thing that, you know, you marry a woman and then... You marry her sister. That's what my great 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 grandfather did. Yeah, and most polygamy, it's like in you, history has you, been that. You marry the the one woman, and then you're like, "Damn, I really like your sister, though." <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that's the way it's it's usually worked throughout history, and in in the Levitical law, there isn't a rule against marrying your wife's sister. Not in Levitical, but in somewhere else. I'm not aware of any rules anywhere against marrying your wife's... You just said that. That was one of the rules that you just oh, listed. Did I? Yeah. Not her mom, not her daughter. 
Not her aunt, not her sister. <laughs> okay, yeah. The the exact rule, Leviticus 18.18, 18, do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. Oh, okay. So you can have the sister after your wife's dead. Yep. Okay. Well, a lot of people apparently did not choose, chose not to, you know, honor that one. Right. The, because, yeah, the majority of polygamy has been involving sisters. Um, so, okay, yeah. The, the, Leviticus, the Bible does prohibit that. Um, so a lot of rules on who your second wife can't be. Uh, there are rules about when you can and cannot marry your slave. And then there are tons of stories of like Jacob marrying, getting tricked and marrying the wrong sister. And then he got to marry the right sister. And then they both gave him their servants to be concubines. Dang, Jacob. Resulting in him having 12 sons and one daughter. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, he must have been very rich. <laughs> legendarily so <laughs> yeah yeah uh of course then i think about my mormon ancestors like it doesn't matter how you could be freaking dirt poor as long as the as long as they keep popping out babies so be it and, and then and then you get other other stories with like david and his 300 or david and his many many wives and solomon with his 700 wives and 300 concubines and more and more stories like that where it very much isn't a concern with one man and one woman also probably complete lies <laughs> yeah oh man he had like 12 no, i mean 20 no i mean 700 wives no not buying it <laughs> <laughs> and so when people talk about biblical marriage and, and Wanting to protect the, the sanctity of marriage and biblical marriage, it's not a thing. It's not, definitely not regarding polygamy or, um, you know, there are rules about their slaves. Yeah. Better mind those. <laughs> but biblical marriage isn't a thing. Christian marriage, there's a long tradition of polygamy being frowned upon. And there is no tradition of same-sex marriage, but big deal. Yep. Uh, we also live in a country where the church doesn't record your marriage, the state does. Even if a pastor is officiating, that pastor is officiating under the authority of the state and signing a certificate from the state that then gets recorded by the state. Yeah. And in places where Christianity had the, the say on marriages, Christianity actually, the church actually ran marriage. Uh, Quebec and up into the 1960s, if you wanted to get married, you went to the Catholic priest and the Catholic priest would officiate the wedding and record your marriage in the church's books. And that was the marriage. Yeah, Las Vegas is way more fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah. What is biblical marriage? Not really a thing. What's Christian marriage? Who fucking cares? As long as it's not your toaster. <laughs> All right. In the news, this first story I first saw from r slash atheism. Articles that did were not believable. Like the phrasing they were using in what the IRS said is like, no, that cannot be right. So I did a little digging. Yeah. And the ones... Well, okay, let me give you the, the basic story. A Texas Christian group called 
Christians Engaged applied for 501c3 status and was denied by the IRS last month. What I trace back to probably coming from the Blaze or Russian propaganda mills before hitting the Blaze and Fox News and the Washington Examiner and other right-wing media sources, worded it as the IRS disallowed them 501c3 status because they were pushing for biblical values, which are inherently associated with the Republican Party. Yeah. Okay. That is a lie. Which part? That that's what the IRS said or that there are biblical teachings that are associated with the Republican Party? That that's what they yeah, that's said. Right. I mean, there's a lot of churches out there, church groups that do a lot of good that don't, mm-hmm. that are not associated with Republican parties. Yeah. There are a few out there that do push voting certain ways, and those guys should not have that status. What the IRS did say is, quote, while you educate voters on what the Bible says about issues, your educational activities are not neutral. The topics typically are affiliated with distinct candidates and specific political party platforms. Yeah. That is not saying that republic that biblical values are republican values. That is saying you are picking topics that have been politicized. Right, cuz that's how you get people engaged in voting. And the Republican Party has made everything a political issue. Yeah. And everything a partisan issue. And when science is partisan, of course the Bible is going to be partisan. Yeah. Uh, But that's not what the IRS's issue was. The issue was that they are using religion to encourage Christians to vote for Republican candidates. Right. I mean, we all saw it during the uh, every election ever. (laughs) <laughs> I can't, I mean, uh, uh, I know I'm, I'm only 36, so I've only been around for a couple of elections, but I've never heard anybody, not some story come up, some pastor telling the entire congregation to vote Republican. I'm assuming it happens with the Democrats as well. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. But it's not as venomous as, say, this last Trump one. With the Johnson Amendment not being enforced... For, like, the last 12 years? Yeah. Like, the, the Obama's budget cuts included cutting the positions that dealt with 501c3s, including churches, being neutral on political, on partisan Boo. politics and electioneering. Yeah. The specific Whoopsie. rule is that if you want to be a tax-exempt organization... You have to refrain from endorsing candidates and parties. That is, that is all the rule is. You can push issues all you want. That's encouraged. You just can't push people. Or parties. Or parties. Yeah. This group crossed the line. And so they applied for the status and were denied because they don't qualify to be a tax-exempt organization. Because it's overtaxed joke as the irs is um it doesn't take much facebook scrolling to see how what your church has been up to and it's not a church no 
It's a, a charitable group. It's a a I guess you could call it a parachurch organization. It's a It sounded like they were kind of cl- like a religious educational Yeah. group, not yeah. necessarily a church, which right. is fair enough. Yeah. And so they were trying to get 501c3 status like American atheists like the or Bible American Museum. humanists would have. And like the Museum of the Bible, and if they want to stop endorsing candidates, they can get that. Yeah. Total tangent here. Did you hear about all the fraud that happened with the uh, history of the, or the Museum of the Bible? Yeah. They bought a bunch of papyrus stuff that was fake. Again. Again. God damn it, dude. Stop wasting your money on this. Yeah. Basically the same exact story that we covered like five years ago. Yeah. It's funny. It keeps happening. Uh, that's why i will never go to hobby lobby (laughs) although if people keep ripping the guy off i don't see why not (laughs) the supreme court ruled unanimously in favor of uh catholic social services against philadelphia what had happened was philadelphia updated their policies to include prohibitions on anti-lgbt discrimination yeah which included if you're running services contracted by the city and you are discriminatory against, you know, gay couples, then your contract won't be renewed. So then Catholic Social Services contract was not renewed and they sued. The lower courts all ruled in favor of Philadelphia and the Supreme Court ruled unanimously to overturn those decisions and rule in favor of Catholic Social Services. I can't believe it was unanimous. Yeah. I mean, that just blows my mind. Is Sotomayor? Yeah. Why? She is Catholic. That's beside the point. <laughs> I know. That's supposed to be beside the point. Right. Obviously, it's not. Well, so this is one of those where, okay, if you look at the, the, the ruling written by John Roberts, uh, the, the argument is basically that Catholic Social Services seeks only an accommodation that will allow it to continue serving the children of Philadelphia in a manner consistent with its religious beliefs. It does not seek to impose those beliefs on anyone else. The refusal of Philadelphia to contract with CSS for the provision of foster care services unless it agrees to certify same-sex couples as foster parents cannot survive st- strict scrutiny and violates the First Amendment, end quote. Strict scrutiny, huh? Yep. Wow. They also included in that that if the argument is that, you know, they're being discriminatory would deprive these kids of getting into foster homes, there's, they're only one of 45 agencies providing foster care services. The other ones aren't discriminatory. So you only have got the one. So that's not actually keeping gay couples from being able to foster kids. That makes me so angry. <laughs> but they have a point. The problem with all the cake stuff and all the other services that we've seen is because those were the only services in the area. And oftentimes these gay couples are not able to go somewhere else. This is an example of where that wasn't the case. That if you are okay with gay people adopting, you need to, I guess. Oh, this is actually just for foster care. Not even adoptions. Adoption. If you're, yeah, yeah, then go, I don't know, go somewhere else, I guess. That freaking sucks. And those people, I hope, get a big hit in the amount of people who are agreeing to foster with them. But they won't because people suck. Yeah. And fuck the kids, you know? (laughs) 
and this is one of those where I can. I mean, they're obviously getting raised Catholic anyway, so. <laughs> or at least Christian. Right. I, I'm sure they probably wouldn't certify Muslim couples either. <laughs> or atheist couples. But yeah, this is one of those where we're looking at it. My initial reaction is just straight up anger. Then there's also just thinking about, okay, they got a unanimous opinion. How bad would it have been if Sotomayor and uh, Elena Kagan and Stephen Breyer had decided not to sign on. What would Amy Coney Barrett or Brett Kavanaugh <laughs> written? That would have been much worse. Oh, so you're saying that by, by signing on, they actually um, were able to sway the, uh, the decision. Yeah. Okay, well, I whatever. That's... By damage is done. By signing on, they got to have a say on who wrote the opinion. I mean, that, okay, fair. That's true. There's a lot of... But they don't do that a lot of the time. No, they don't. So uh, there's some that, things that are passed that are ridiculous and somebody oh, will, even Ruth Peter Ginsburg would choose to not be a part of a decision that she vehemently opposed. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand how that's, how that can affect precedence. The, the other factor I would say on this is the precedence that has been getting formed with some of these recent rulings that have been 5-4, or now with Amy Coney Barrett, 6-3, where it's just the conservatives voting for it, where they're basically throwing out all of the previous jurisprudence on church-state separation issues. Yeah. And with this one, they were able to get it tailored to, if that organization in practicing their religion freely doesn't actually impact everything then that's okay as opposed to getting it to like i'm sure the the ruling that would have come out of just the right wing would have been if it had been a 5-4 with john roberts joining the liberals it would have been basically you cannot cancel a contract for a religious organization period if they if you're doing it for a reason they can claim as their religious beliefs then you are violating their first amendment rights and fuck you which is what they've done before. And so at least they didn't do that. I guess. This was as long as... That's a silver lining that's it's pretty faint, but... Oh, yeah. It's better than it could have been. All right. Oh, okay. It still sucks. Um, we really like need I said, to... I hope people pull their support from that foster care program. And we really need to get to a point where the government isn't contracting with religious organizations or private organizations to provide services like that. What we need to do is get to the point where the government provides services for fostering and yeah. adoption that's actually legitimate. Uh-huh. And not a weird shell company-esque sort of dealing. It's disgusting. It, it's it's, it's, it's that, that next step that's needed. This is moving from the orphanages run by churches, you know, run by Catholic nuns. At least we're, we're past that point. And it's to foster care, but the churches are still involved. And to get the nuns out of it, the only you need to get the state. the state actually running it. Unfortunately, most people, if you say the state, they're not, they're going to run the other way because the state has mishandled foster and adoption so badly for the past 60, 70 years that nobody trusts the state system anymore. Which 
it needs better funding and support yeah. and the ability to actually run. Apparently, they need more fucking fun runs because that's the only thing that gets money these days. <laughs> and in Mississippi, a group of atheists, of individual atheists, um, along with American atheists and the Mississippi Humanist Association, are suing in federal court for the license plate redesign. Oh, yeah. At, at issue here. Like the here. sheriff's sticker all over again. Yeah. At issue is when Mississippi was redoing the flag and seal, a law got put through that it has to have in God we trust on it. Yeah. So new seal, at least there's no stars and bars, but it does have in God we trust. The new standard default and new as in since... 2019 uh license plate has the seal with three letters on the left side of it and four numbers on the other side which covers up mississippi in the seal but does not cover up any of in god we trust well of course it is perfectly placed just off center to have that be completely legible if you are getting a getting plates for a car, standard plates for a car. You can pay extra money and get a specialty plate that doesn't have In God We Trust on it. Right. If you are getting a vanity plate, it has to be on the default within God We Trust. If you're disabled and getting a plate with a disability placard on it, you have to have the standard one within God We Trust. Oh, if you're getting a plate for an RV, trailer, motorcycle, or anything that's not a passenger vehicle, you have to get the standard plate with In God We Trust boo. on Boo. So much boo there. So, disabled atheists, you know, fuck you. <laughs> uh, well, with, with some of the, the plaintiffs, um, Jason Allen Griggs has a trailer and is forced to have a religious message. On his trailer. Uh, Sue Moss, who's a member of Mississippi Humanist Association, she's one of the plaintiffs. She said, quote, as a Mississippi resident with a permanent disability, I have no other option but to put in God we trust on my property. It's most certainly not what I believe, but in Mississippi, there's just no alternative. Yeah. Sarah Worrell from uh, American Atheist Mississippi, who is American Atheist Mississippi Assistant State Director. Um. She said, for years I had personal license plate messages on the old blues guitar design. In 2019, when In God We Trust became the new standard license plate, I was forced to either give up my chosen message or display it alongside the Mississippi government's religious statement. I shouldn't have to make that choice. The government shouldn't be able to decree that I display a message that goes against my beliefs. Especially since if you tried to put a message like no God mm -hmm. or anything like that, it would be stricken. They wouldn't let you do it because it's offensive. I would love an FKGOD. That would be great. <laughs> so they are citing in their lawsuit Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, which is the case we just talked about, and Tandon versus Newsom, which was the you can't limit religious gatherings case. <laughs> okay. To argue that... There are alternatives. And so people whose religious beliefs go against in God we trust 
must be given equal treatment and have equal and not extra cost access to those alternatives. Wow. Yep. Eat your own words. I am optimistic that if this goes to the Supreme Court, that as long as they keep the message on it focused on that is a religious message that is being forced on me and that goes against my personal beliefs, as long as they can keep it personal. Yep. If it goes to the Supreme Court with the recent rulings, they would have a hard time saying no to these atheists unless they want to be unless they want it to become incredibly obvious that they only care about christian feelings and not just religious feelings so they're either going to have to let them win or invalidate everything that they've already ruled on no not really they could nope. just be they're the Supreme Court. They can do whatever they want. Yeah, it's true. They can just say, yeah, no, Christians are our bros. You guys are hoes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> heck, they could get away with just saying, you don't have standing. <laughs> it's a license plate. You can't sue over a license plate. Even though they're required to have it on their vehicle? Yep. I don't see how you don't have standing if you're forced to pay a fee. They concluded that... What? Taxpayers didn't have in Arizona didn't have standing to sue over voucher programs where their tax money was going to schools, yeah. Christian schools. You can do you can do whatever you want when you're on the Supreme yeah. Court, and that's half the problem. Yep. So hopefully, John Roberts is going to want to make sure the court seems legitimate. Legitimate. It's not. And will continue the charade of the court being a legitimate entity. Okay. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. And in Italy, there is a proposed law that has made it through the lower house of the Italian legislature that would would ban violence and hate speech towards LGBTQ people, people with disabilities, and a couple of other marginalized groups oh okay in response for the first time in history the vatican has issued a request that italy not pass this law oh wow they have never tried to interfere with italian politics by interfere in italian politics uh, let's limit this to modern italy right right the Catholic Church hasn't tried to interfere directly. Like, the Vatican itself hasn't tried to interfere. They have been hands-off on that. They're interfering, demanding that this law not pass, and saying that it would infringe on the Church's freedom of thought, and that it's in violation of treaty. Really? Because when the Vatican City was formally established as a state entity uh it involved a treaty with mussolini outlining what powers and privileges the catholic government has in italy <laughs> and they're saying this violates that treaty that they had entered into with a fascist dictator yep wow yeah they're really doubling down on this aren't they they've really and and it's why 
I don't. Well, I mean, from my point of view, it's always been like this kind of like weird. Why do you care when it comes to LGBT rights? It's but even if you do care, just don't commit hate speech. That's not apparently. That's too much. That's because or violence. Yeah, that's because hate speech has a specific definition. It's not just saying something hateful. It's actually saying things to bring about direct harm to a group of people. Like, there are specific rules on what counts as hate speech. Yeah. Like, racial slurs are not hate speech, but hate speech, racial hate speech is a thing that can happen. Yeah. Wow. I Yeah, you're right. It, I mean, it's just dumb. <laughs> And it's just a really good way to make themselves look really bad. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, and like, this was actually, they, they had the, the Vatican Secretary of State hand deliver a note to Italy's embassy in the Vatican City. Right. Because they have embassies, apparently, which we learned a couple weeks ago. Yep. Yep. So stupid. Ugh. Yeah. Unfortunately, it looks like this law is dead anyway. Aww. It made it through the lower house of parliament, and then there was new elections, and... Oh, yeah. There's a new government, and the coalition includes far right-wing parties that are actively opposed to this. Um, It was proposed by a center-left gay politician. Aww. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for news. In feedback, we got a correction. Ooh, ooh, that's fun. From Carl Hayden, that's at khayden2412 on Twitter. At Atheist Nomads, 412, what is baptism? Just a correction. In the Roman uh, slash Latin Catholic Church, you have Holy Communion at 7 or 8 and Confirmation at age 12 or 13. In Ireland, the timing is more related to your year in school, i.e. first class for Holy Communion and sixth for Confirmation. Thank you for that correction. When I said... Whatever it was you said. Whatever it was I said, I was pretty sure I was wrong. (laughs) This is one of the great things about this show, is that if if you get anything wrong, we'll find out. Yeah. We'll know about it within a week. Yeah. Which we greatly appreciate, by the way. Um, Yeah, I... And I even said something about how I wasn't, I wasn't confident about my answer on that, but yeah. Uh, communion at seven or eight, confirmation at 12 or 13. You were distracted in stress. So confirmation fits <laughs> with the typical, and this actually makes it even more interesting because confirmation fits with the timing of like typical Protestant adult baptism. Right. While Holy Communion first time at seven or eight, that's a lot closer to Mormon baptism at around eight or nine. Yeah. So that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, why you'd have a coming of age ceremony at that point. Now, I guess it makes more sense like with Irish schools in first grade. Right. That would make sense. Um, but just seven or eight in the but US. That was, a, that was clearly adapted. Yeah. So, yeah, that's weird. And Kids often started school a lot later, earlier. That's that's bumped up earlier and earlier. Yeah, right? You got a three-year-old. You better get them in freaking preschool. Yeah. First grade's right around the corner. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, 
uh, Carl, thank you so much for the, the correction. Uh, yeah, thank you. And if you want to contact us, you can find the contact form or speak pipe button on the website or send us an email at feedback at atheistnomads.com. And if you want to support the show, you can find out how at atheistnomads.com slash donate. Lauren, thank you so much. I'm here. I'm awake. What? Oh, and I'm not killing the Facebook page. (laughs) Facebook is actually launching podcasting on Facebook. Like, I haven't gotten the message from them yet to add the feed, but they're now a podcast directory. Yep. And I have a policy of being in all podcast directories. It's a good policy. Because, you know, it's a podcast. (laughs) So, yep, the Facebook page will be living on. Damn it. So until next week, remember, not all those who wander are lost. Thank you for listening to another episode of Atheist Nomads. You can find show notes and contact information at atheistnomads.com. Follow us on Twitter at Atheist Nomads and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash atheistnomads. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review. The music is courtesy of Sturdy Fred. Until next time, this has been the Atheist Nomads.